you're listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. Today, we have another installment in a series on historic church liturgy. We've covered things like prayer, music, and scripture reading. Today, a sermon on the gift of preaching. According to John, preaching has gone through several significant cycles throughout history, and we're going to learn more about that. But at the end of the day, proclaiming God's word through preaching is one of the primary means of grace for God's gathered guests. Let's dive now into this message called The Gift of Preaching the Word. Here's John with part four. We're not debtors to God. The church is a debt-free zone. Jesus paid our debt. And so hearing the word of Christ grants us assurance. And so each week as the church gathers for worship, believers come to be reminded that their sins are forgiven. We said this morning in primetime, just think about the flow of the worship service. We read God's law, ask you to get on your knees and humble yourself before Almighty God and confess you're a miserable sinner, right? Well, no, it's not like that. But we confess our sins and we ask the Lord to forgive us. Now, what if the liturgy went from confession while you're down on your knees confessing and asking for forgiveness, and then all of a sudden we say, okay, Kevin, let's sing. <laughs> and you're left down on your knees. You just confess your sins. Like, this doesn't feel right. What comes after that in the service? The declaration of pardon. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, stand up, saint, and don't be afraid to come in God's presence. He's not here to condemn you. You can come off your knees and stand as a sign of resurrection, as a sign of freedom and grace. You can stand before a holy God in worship. Christ has got it covered. You're at peace with God. That's where the church leaves you. And if the church doesn't give you that, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, find a church that will give you that forever. Why is this important? We have to have good news proclaimed to us from outside of us because we have a hard time believing that this could actually be true. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, the fact that others assure me of God's grace makes the church community real for me. This assurance outside of me rules out any danger or hope that I might have fallen prey to an illusion. The confidence of faith arises not only out of solitude, but also out of the gathered assembly. And so the proclamation of God's love in Christ for sinners is the high point of the service of the word. And we need to hear it every week. Seventh, preaching is a mark of a true church. The pure preaching of the gospel is an indication that you're actually in a real church. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, which we've gone through twice in our church, right? <laughs> um, Paul warns that if a church rejects the gospel, it commits apostasy, and it's no longer part of the visible body of Christ, but comes under the curse and judgment of God. It's not a true church. Paul says that. I didn't say that. And so there are true churches and there are false churches. And so the fact that a church claims to be a church doesn't mean that it's a true church. 
The Reformers in the Reformation taught from Scripture that there are two undeniable marks of a true church. You know what they are? It is the pure preaching of the gospel, and it is the pure administration of Christ's sacraments as he instituted them, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Some also add the faithful exercise of church discipline, but the point is the pure preaching of God's word, especially his gospel, is to be clearly affirmed and proclaimed if a church is to be considered a true church. And preaching, the pure preaching of God's word every week reminds and assures you, okay, I can rest, I'm in a true church. Theodore Beza Calvin's uh, student, right, successor, he said, where there is no word of God, but only the word of man, whoever he be, there is no faith there. He says, there's only a dream or an opinion which cannot fail but to deceive us. Next, preaching is necessary because the church is a supernatural creation of God's word. Preaching is necessary in worship because the church is a supernatural creation of God's word. You, as a believer in Christ, are a supernatural creation of God. Christianity is a religion of God's word, of the word. How did God create? By his word. Let there be what? Light, and there was light. And just as God created by his word, so he'll bring about a new creation by his proclaimed word, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, I want you to turn there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. This is a powerful, powerful verse that connects the preaching and the gospel together and how God creates through it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul teaches that the proclamation of the gospel creates. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul quotes Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And he's picking up the theme of ex nihilo creation. Ex nihilo creation, that's just a fancy Latin phrase of which I don't know Latin, but I can read it through my study helps. But ex nihilo creation just simply means out of nothing. Okay, God created out of nothing by his word spoken. And so Paul is comparing in, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, the preaching of the gospel to God's original act of creating out of nothing. He quotes Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Look what he says. For God who said his word, he spoke, he said, let light shine out of darkness. And when God spoke that word, what happened? Light shined out of darkness. <laughs> it's called a performative speech act. God speaks and it performs what was spoken. Light shone out of darkness. 
And so when God spoke this word of creation, Paul takes up on that, and he says, this is what happens when the gospel is preached, proclaimed. God shines in our hearts to get the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God spoke the creation into existence, Paul says, so now he speaks the new creation into existence. And he does this through his gospel. He does this through his word. And so an important question for us to ask is, why is the preaching of the gospel effectual and creative? Why? The answer is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through the means of preaching of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, the Apostle Paul describes the gospel as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes action through the proclamation of the gospel. This action is necessary because we are all spiritually blind apart from the work of the Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Therefore, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, unless the Holy Spirit enlightens man's understanding, he cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And he needs this supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to create something that is not there, which is sight. The Holy Spirit must enlighten our understanding to make us capable of receiving the light of the gospel. And if you're trusting Christ and seeing Christ and believing the gospel, that is evidence of the recreative supernatural action of the Holy Spirit in your life. And without the work of the Holy Spirit, the preaching has no power and it falls on deaf ears. This is why we always pray before every sermon in the liturgy, the prayer of illumination. So there's another big liturgical term, the prayer of illumination, right? (laughs) It is now time to pray. Let us pray. All that means is, is we're asking the Holy Spirit to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves or for anybody who is present. And so this is what we write on our website concerning the prayer of illumination that that precedes every sermon we preach in this church. Quote, we highly value the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to understand the Christ-centered truth of the Bible. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, to understand the meaning of the Scriptures, and to apply the Scriptures to our lives. For apart from the work of the Spirit, the Bible is a dead letter, and the Christian life is impossible, end quote. So paraphrasing Psalm 119, verses 16 through 18, which I pray every single week, if you listen carefully, this is what I pray every week. 
Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful truths out of your word. We will delight in your statutes. We will not forget your word. Therefore, deal bountifully with your people so that we can live and keep your word. Those are not throwaway prayers to sound fancy up here. That is a heart crying out from Psalm 119. Lord, if you don't teach me, this is not going to work today. Maybe we'll just pray that. (laughs) Or sometimes we paraphrase Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and following, and this is what we pray from that, because that is Paul's prayer of illumination in Ephesians chapter 1, and this is how the prayer goes. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, what a title, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. What a prayer. These are not throwaway prayers. These are prayers of desperation, asking the Holy Spirit, come do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so the gospel is made powerful by the Holy Spirit who always sustains the gospel and makes the gospel powerful unto salvation. And so the gospel preaching in the church gives rise to the church because the church will always remain a creation of the word of his grace. That's why it's necessary. Preaching next, preaching preserves the order of the church. The unity of the church. We don't have time to look at it, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that Christ, who is the gift giver, has ascended and he has poured out gifts onto his church, speaking gifts for the purpose, listen, to build up the church and foster the unity of the faith and the mature knowledge of the Son of God. So preaching and preachers are a gift from the gift giver to preserve the knowledge and unity of the church in its order. Preaching establishes, Paul says, establishes the church. The the believers are held together by one bond, one common accord. They learn in advance through the preaching of God's word, and together the church order is established by God. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Next, preaching proves our obedience, and it provides for our weakness. What do I mean by that? Well, again, if you look back in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us that the gift giver, the ascended Christ, in his wisdom, has willed that believers grow in godliness under the preaching of his word in the visible church. God has entrusted certain gifted ones and commanded them to do this, and it is God's will to teach the church through a human means. Some out of pride refuse to listen to God's messengers. But when weak and sinful men, guilty as charged, (laughs) 
uh, when, when weak and sinful men instruct us in the word of God, it proves our obedience. John Calvin says that preaching is a very good test when we hear his ministers speaking just as if he himself spoke to us. And so with a gentle and teachable spirit, God's people must allow themselves to be governed by those appointed by God for gospel service. Author of Hebrews says, let them do this with joy, please. (laughs) Why? Why to your joy? And I know some of you out there know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Because the author of Hebrews says, if you let them do it with joy, it is too your advantage. Not only does it prove our obedience, but it also provides for our weakness. The preaching of God's word through a human person provides for our weakness. To give you an example, in Exodus chapter 20, the people of Israel are summoned by God to stand before Mount Sinai. And that was an awesome sight. If you read Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 interprets what it was like to be there. And the people are standing before God at Mount Sinai in front of the frightening presence of God. And God begins to speak, and it sounds like thunder. And so they say to Moses, listen to this, Exodus chapter 20, verse 19 You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. You don't want God speaking to you without mediation. That's why he came to speak to us in his word, which is Jesus. Calvin says that God prefers to address us in human fashion through interpreters in order to draw us to himself rather than to thunder at us and drive us away. Indeed, from the dread with which God's majesty justly overwhelms them, all the pious truly feel how much this familiar sort of teaching is needed. We need humans to speak to us God's word, lest God speak to us and it sounds like thunder and we die. Lastly, and we're going to look at this, preaching is a sacred trust and a solemn command. It is a sacred trust and a solemn command. At the end of Titus chapter 1, verse 3, there's an interesting phrase. Paul says that he had been entrusted with the call to preach the gospel by the command of God our Savior. God commissioned Paul with the task of preaching. And Paul alludes to this calling repeatedly through his letters, listen, as a sacred trust. Not only that, but listen, in addition to Paul's preaching as a sacred trust, Paul's preaching reflects God's command. He says, I was called to preach by the command of God, our Savior. That's why preaching is not an optional method in the church. It's commanded. It's not like somebody thought, oh, you know what? I think what will be the most effective thing is for a a human, weak, sinful man to get up every week for 30 to 40 minutes and talk to people. 
Oh, that'll be really effective. That's, that's going to grow the church. But if you look at the book of Acts, it says the word of God continued to spread. What grew the church? The preaching of the gospel in the early church. It's God's command method. Preaching is a necessary element every Lord's Day in worship. And so in our day, which contains so many challenges to preaching, we need to hear that the Holy Spirit does not work apart from the ordinary means of grace that he has commanded. God has not promised to bless new measures. He's nowhere in the scripture said, if you just replace preaching with films on Sunday morning, I'll bless that more. I'm present in the, in the giving of Hollywood movies. Now, if God's word said that, we'd be watching feature films every Sunday. I'd be glad just to sit there and watch a feature film with you. It'd be a lot easier, right? But God hasn't promised to bless these new excitements. But he has promised in his word to bless preaching. Remember, it is a supernatural creative work that the Holy Spirit does through the foolishness of preaching. And so he knows, God knows that these ordinary means of preaching and reading the Bible in public worship and giving the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, he knows these appear weak and foolish in the eyes of the world, and that is exactly why he chose those methods. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. So you just fill in the blank. It pleased God through the foolishness of movies. It pleased God through the foolishness of dialogue. It pleased God through dramatic presentations. No. It pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save. You see the connection? Gospel, preaching, people saved. That's it. And so because God commands preaching, it carries his divine authority. And listen, not only his authority, but his promise to save. And so as we reflect this morning on the central role of preaching and the the role that it plays in the church's worship, let us remember this. This is God's gift to us. This is the gift giver's gift. This is his gift that when a properly ordained minister recognized, had his hands laid on by the church, which is a public confirmation, yes, this man can do this, and he's equipped to do this, and the church sends him to do this, a properly ordained minister sent to do this, Romans chapter 10, when he proclaims the gospel, God's voice is heard in the church. Preaching and preachers are a gift from the gift giver. And so we'll just finish with this. John Calvin says, For among the many excellent gifts which God has adorned the human race, it is a singular privilege that he deigns to consecrate to himself the mouths and tongues of men in order that his voice may resound in them. Isn't that astounding? The preaching of God's word carried out as a sacred trust by the command of God is a gift to his church so that when we come gathered together as believers, we should expect nothing less in the liturgy and the order of the worship than to hear the pure, unmixed, and unadulterated preaching 
of God's word. That's worship. Let's pray. And so, Father, thank you for this gift. Thank you that you feed us through foolish, weak, and sinful people. Thank you that through that method it proves our obedience and it provides for our weakness where we could not endure a word directly from you. How kind and gracious you are to give us such a great gift so that we can have our minds through the power of your Holy Spirit enlightened and we can have the word expounded to us in such a way that we can grasp it by the power of your Holy Spirit and apply it to our life. Help us to always remain focused on the preaching of your gospel, the preaching of your law, and doing it properly so that people who come can receive salvation and assurance of their salvation, be comforted with the good news of Christ every week. And so take the words that have been given, press them into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, and help us to leave here, Father, walking in holiness and in righteousness loving and serving our neighbor in the vocations and callings that you've given to us in this life. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Gift of Preaching the Word, Part 4. We'll hear more from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.